Hey everyone, welcome back to uh, episode two of Vegan Theology for the Least of These. I'm Kevin. Hi everybody, I'm Sarah. Hey, how are you Sarah? Having a good day. Yeah. Very good day. I think uh, you had mentioned in our last episode that we didn't really maybe use the word vegan. So (laughs) we're calling ourselves Vegan Theology and we didn't even use the word, but the way I was thinking about that was that we're trying to present sort of a biblical theological view and we're trying to pull out what the actual text says. What we're going to talk about in this episode is a little bit of kind of pushing back against some of the church tradition uh, when it comes to animals. And of course we value, we understand, you know, how we as Christians, especially evangelical Christians, need to respect church tradition and interpreting the word in a community. At the same time, you know, some traditions are a bit antiquated and from the beginning were a little skewed. And we can talk about that. You we know. could even, you could, you did even say, I think we're making the argument that, uh, you know, we claim to be sola scriptura, but the church's traditional view on animals kind of betrays more of a cultural uh, interpretation of right. scripture more than an actual looking at what it says. Right, and I think some of the things we're going to get to in some of our episodes is just the the heavy Greek influence on a lot of Christian thinking. And we'll get into that even when it comes to like heaven and the new creation. But exactly what you're saying, and I think I think what you mentioned last episode was this our view of animals is very anthropocentric. Mm-hmm. And and that does go back to some early theologians, but at any rate yeah. yeah, yeah. it was many, many, many years ago. I was a undergrad student at Moody Bible Institute, and I was sitting in a Genesis theology class with Douglas Kennard. Shout out to Douglas Kennard, yeah. who's now at Houston Graduate School, uh, theological school. And we were going through Genesis line by line, and he pointed out that the exact same phrase is used to describe the birds, the sea, the sea animals, the land animals, and humans. And that phrase uh, we translate to be living creature. And that phrase at the creation when God created. Yeah, we're talking about Genesis 1, right. Genesis 2. And he, you know, he, he went so far as to actually say, so animals have souls. Uh, so that little bug that my son was killing last night had a soul. And I remember being startled. Like, like it just blew my mind wide open because right. that, that's the opposite of what I was taught as a child growing up in the church. Uh, growing up kind of on a little farm, growing up hunting and fishing, I was always told as a child, no, only God only made humans with souls. And animals don't have souls and right. they're in a completely different category in terms of their value. And so, uh, so yeah, I'd like to just kind of look at those verses in Genesis one, Genesis two. Um, so that if you are curious about that, you can look at them as well. So we go to Genesis chapter one, verse 20. So this is, um, the fifth day of creation. What, what uh, translation are you reading? Of? And I'm going to be reading from English Standard Version today. Okay. okay. So, you know, the days one through four, God is creating the environment, basically. The mm. light, the water, the dry land, the vegetation, uh, the planets, the sun, the moon, the stars. Uh, we get to verse t- 
20, which is day five, which when God starts creating living, breathing creatures. So verse 20, and God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures. And then he goes on um, and talks about filling the heavens with living creatures. That's day five. And then verse 24, chapter one, verse 24. Now we're at day six when God's creating the land animals. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. And then if you would jump to chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. So again, that phrase, living creature, is the exact same language and that's in English, but of course, the, it begs the question, okay, well, what does the Hebrew right. actually have for those that phrase? Exactly. And I think what we're going to get at, uh, not in this episode, but in uh, other episodes in the future, we're just going to mention, though, that <clears throat> the Christian tradition, uh, as early as uh, basically 15 uh, BC to 50 AD, that you may have heard of Philo of Alexandria, and he was a Jewish philosopher and theologian. And he was one of the biggest, uh, he was one of the first commentators on Genesis. And uh, he was also one of the biggest proponents of the anthropocentric view. And, you know, from there, um, there were people that valued animals like Pythagoras, for instance, in the Greek, on the Greek side, he was vegetarian and he had a belief that human souls went into animals. And so that's why we needed to treat animals affectionately. But anyway, there's a whole history of people that that were more favorable to animals within the church tradition, within the Western tradition. And that's that's Greek thinking as well as Jewish thinking, Christian thinking. But it seems that the pro-human people won out. And that goes from, you know, Philo of Alexandria to Augustine of Hippo uh, to Thomas Aquinas and then into Rene Descartes. And so, and even with Aquinas, you know, uh, his, his, his thoughts held sway for centuries, really. I think, like, roughly maybe 400 years. And so he, in his views, didn't even consider animals worthy of moral consideration. They weren't a part of his paradigm, so he didn't give them any. And, it already, and it, then it kind of bled into Descartes, and Descartes really used this idea that animals didn't have souls. And this, and he also performed a vivisection, which was like actual dissecting animals while they were alive. Mm-hmm. And it was just pretty horrific and brutal. And, you know, just to see what he could learn from them. There was even like an argument I think he made that a loving God wouldn't create animals who could suffer. So right. therefore they cannot suffer. Right. And so exactly. And so the whole problem of evil didn't apply to animals because they couldn't suffer because one, they didn't have souls. And two, he also believed that they weren't sentient. Mm-hmm. So because of that, and that kind of, and if you think about that, he was a predecessor of, of science. And so that kind of has bled into science for yeah. you know centuries after that, even, you know, into, into our century. So, <clears throat> and we're still seeing some of that. I mean, it's still happening today. Anyway, Definitely. so we just want to give a, that history, that that whole bit about souls. And even you may be familiar with a, a vegan podcast, uh, Hope for the Animals podcast. It's one of our favorite podcasts. But Hope Bohannock, her husband, uh, Kojin Bohannock, he is a he is a theologian. He's a theologian in the Dharma traditions. But even he was giving comment on one of their episodes. The episode was called Animal Ethics and Theology with Kojin Bohannock around uh, minute eight. 1840, you know, he was mentioning how Christianity 
basically believed that basically the Abrahamic traditions that we just don't believe that animals have souls. Right. And so we just kind of write it off, but, but the Dharma traditions do. So, and when I heard that, I was like, oh, that's a bummer that that's the, it's unfortunate. It's the predominant understanding. Right. And so we're here to push back against Mm -hmm. that thinking. So, and I just want to mention, um, you know, if you're doing, if you don't know the original language of Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic. Like we don't. Like we don't, but we've studied some of it, but you can get tools to help you. Uh, and And obviously the very first tool you'd want to get would be a concordance and so you know strong's concordance you may have heard of them they're very popular but they have a they have a a keying system a number system for each word and so you can look that word up alphabetically in there in strong's and then it'll give you a number and then you can take that number and and then use it and go to a, a bible dictionary now you know there are different levels of bible dictionaries they're very beginner ones intermediate and more scholastic or scholarly ones and so there's also another concordance. It's called the new, or it's basically the NIV exhaustive concordance. And it's, it's known by the acronym NIVEC. We're using both. And I just wanted to point out that we're going to be talking about two words here, living from the Hebrew, from, from Genesis. And the NIVEC number is 2645, if you want to follow along. The Strong's number is 2416. And then we're also going to be talking about creatures, the word creatures. And the NIVEC number is 5883. The Strong's number is 5315. Mm-hmm. The one other thing I want to say, so we're using the New International Dictionary, Old Testament Theology and Exegesis, and the acronym for that is NIDOT. So we're, it's edited by Wilm Van Gameren, and it uh, has a lot of articles, a lot of essays written by eminent theologians and scholars. So... And so what we're going to do is we're just going to uh, pull these words out of a uh, NIDOT and we're going to read them. And then nicely, one of them uh, has both of the words defined. And so we're going to read those to you. For living creatures, the word living is the, is the Hebrew word high. And then for creatures, it's nefesh. Yeah. So if you've, if you've heard um, Hebrew speakers say lahayam when they're taking a drink, it's like their toast is to life. So that's the same word. So high in this dictionary just says life, state of life, uh, living alive. Right. And uh, in, in nefesh in this dictionary, it says in some cases, nefesh stands for the inner person rather than the entire individual. Nefesh represents the desires and inclinations of animals and humans. Perhaps the panting breath that is associated with an intense desire intense desire is the reason for this nuance in nefesh and then sarah in the in the volume you're holding and, and by the way night out is like a five volume dictionary your your piece has the actual phrase nefesh hayam right the combination of the two it says but the torah does more than acknowledge physical life briefly describing also its inception as a result of god's creative activity both animals and people are, quote, living creatures, unquote. In this sense, all of animate nature is on similar standing. While most translations imply that Genesis 2-7 is in some way different from 120 and 124, those are the three verses we looked at, uh, the Hebrew is the same in each instance, nefesh chaya. 
What separates human beings from the animal world is not that they are living souls, rather than living creatures, but that they have been created in the image of God. Yeah, so the, basically, if, if you believe that Genesis 2-7, when God created man as a living creature, that that somehow signifies a soul, you have to then honestly also assent and agree to the fact that it's, it uses the same phrase for animals, living soul. Right, and it's also interesting that the translations took liberties. And, and it's funny, mm-hmm. too, because one of the translations that is very popular among very conservative Christians is the KJV. And it's interesting in when it came when it comes to creating the land animals and the fish, living creatures is used, but when it comes to creating humans in two seven, the KJV says living souls. And what's interesting, you know, just so just so we're clear, because we're trying to be um, faithful to the reading of the actual original languages, the Hebrew, it's very possible that Nefesh doesn't even imply or mean soul, right? So, it, I mean, nowhere in the definition that I read and in the, in the entire the entire listing does it mention that nefesh actually means soul. So, here's what it, it comes it down says to: inner per, inner it inner says person. inner person or the right, whole person, right? But here's my point: if animals don't have souls, then maybe based on the Hebrew, humans do not have souls either, right? And so if it's just what it's what it comes down to. They're essentially the same. So if we believe that humans have souls, then animals have souls. It's it's pretty clear from the text, and in, as the scholar pointed in that essay, the definition, the translations do take liberties. And and uh, Sarah, you're pointing out um, that the NIV it says living creatures for the animals, but when it comes to the humans in Genesis two seven, it actually says living beings. Yeah, it tries to make it sound like it's diff- It's a different phrase, right? And these translations are trying to pull in that theological tradition that has existed since Philo of Alexandria, the Augustine of Hippo, John Calvin, Thomas Aquinas, up through even Descartes, even though he's more of a philosopher and a scientist, but he was a Catholic, I believe. Uh, I also really appreciate this this third entry under Nefesh in the dictionary, and I wanted to share that. Um, so it says the verb nefesh, so when it's in its verb form, um, to be refreshed, occurs three times um, to designate the refreshment that comes from catching one's breath during rest, as instructed in Sabbath theology of Exodus 20. So if you remember the fourth commandment, right, the, the commandment to take a Sabbath, to have one day that's not about your work, right. your, your achievement, your you know, just to have a day of worship and rest, right? Um, if, you, if you go to Exodus, Exodus 20, verse 8, I'll just read the commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. And again, growing up and reading that, it was kind of explained to me that, oh, God's just being hyperbolic. He's just trying to prove a point by, wow. by including foreigners and, and sl- your slaves and servants and your animals. God's just really trying to lay down the law that he really does want you to take a, re- a day of rest. Wow. I think, though, that 
the more plain reading, right, right is um, actually God cares not just about the people of Israel, right? right. Uh, God cares about the foreigners. God cares about the servants and the slaves that they had. And God also cares about the animals, so much so that he wanted everyone to acknowledge that under God, everybody, all of his creatures, all, his, all of his living s- creatures, all of his living souls have value that's outside of their utility. It's right. out of, outside of their ability to, prov- to um, be commodified or to provide you a service outside of what they do for you, they have value just because they're a creature of God. And, and God wants, you know, God's animals even to have a day of rest, to have a day of Sabbath, a right. day that's not about what they can produce or what they can give you. I think that's uh, something that's definitely overlooked and not, and not explored uh, traditionally. And I think that th- these are the kinds of verses that we need to just take, take seriously and read them, read what they say. Right. No, I agree with you 100%. Um, And I think what we're trying to do, again, in this podcast is we're trying to build a case with the text that God and his character, he is very peaceful, he's nonviolent, and he meant for us to treat his creation with respect and with nonviolence and with peace. And I think what we're going to try to do in this podcast and um, is we're going to try to build this case from beginning to end. We're going to try to show what God's maybe original intention was to the best of our ability. And then, well, then after that, you know, so we're going to go from Genesis, we're going to then go into Revelation, the new creation, the new Jerusalem, those kinds of things, and and make some parallels to the fact that there's going to be we're, our, our, our final, what we might call the eternal state in theological terms, is a very peaceful state, a very nonviolent state, a, a state that has no predation, and there's peace, and we're not f- striving the way we are right now. And right. so I think that, that, that... Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. That, that, that ties right into Sabbath, right? Because right. sa- Sabbath is like a little piece of Eden. It's a little piece of the kingdom of God, right? Right. And so, again, Sabbath is not just for human beings. Sabbath is for all living creatures, all nefesh haya. Well, and that just raises the whole... Cool question about all of creation right especially when you think of uh the fields tilling the fields i think it was that every i would have to look it up but uh oh sure every seven years or so you're supposed to rest your fields you know and 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 rotate them so we should look that up for uh that i just thought of that you know so it's not just so resting for humans resting for the animals and even resting for creation itself Mm. so yeah All right, well, um, and I think one of the things we're going to try to do is we're going to try to dig into these theological words. We're going to get into the word dominion. We're going to get into the word subdue. We're going to try to talk about what the image of God is, because that's really the only thing that separates humans from non-human animals. And, And it's not about subjugation. So anyway, thank you for joining us, and, uh, We will check you out next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.